0: Welcome everyone, this fine Easter morning. Great to have each of you here, and uh, you're all invited to come every Sunday if you like. <laughs> Some of you I know are from out of town and with family and friends here today, good to have you here, and I uh, wish God's blessing on you as you celebrate with family. If you're uh, in the area here regularly and, and um, would like more information about our church, there, there is a card on the end in the pew you can fill out, uh, and just give little information about yourself and we'd be glad to visit with you and uh, you can just hand that to me after the service in the back. There's an article in uh, Thursday's Fargo Forum this last week that kind of caught my eye. It, it reported uh, on um, the Fargo School Board a- and they had taken a vote, 6-2, to two, in favor of beginning their meetings with the Pledge of Allegiance. Two members uh, had opposed it, um, partly because they, they, they believed that the religious connotations Uh, The wording, one nation under God, uh, could be alienating to some members in the community. And, you know, I, I guess that is certainly possible, that that could be the case, if you believe, I should say, if you don't believe in the existence of a sovereign God that rules over all. Paul David Tripp said something that struck me. He said, there are only two types of people in the world those who believe that the most important fact that a human being could ever consider and give assent to is the existence of God, and those who either casually or philosophically deny his existence. Well, as we gather here on this Easter Sunday, what we will talk about today will not be believable unless you start with the premise of the existence of God. If we do believe, then, in the existence of an all-powerful God, then also we can believe in the miraculous, which includes then even the resurrection from the dead. If you deny the existence of God, either philosophically or in life practice, then Easter can really only be for you a nice holiday, a weekend to gather with family, eat some ham, joke about the Easter bunny, maybe have an Easter egg hunt. And all of those things are fine to do, but there is more to Easter. During my years in college at MSUM, there there were some things that came up in some of my humanities classes that really caused me to question some of my Christian beliefs. And over and over again, I would have to come back to this. I would have to ask myself this basic question, and that is, well, Lloyd, what do you really know for sure? And, and, uh, you know, I always came back to then these three undeniable foundational facts upon which all the rest of my Christian belief is built. And I could not walk away from these three things. One, as I look around at nature, in this amazing world in which we live, I am absolutely confident that it did not just come about by random chance, but that there must be a master designer. Two, I I was convinced that, that the Bible is really the most amazing book in the world written by about 35 different human authors over a period of about 1,500 years, and yet so clearly having a central theme that points to one person in all of history. And then three, that person in human history. I am convinced that Jesus Christ was the most unique person ever to walk the face of this earth, and that no one could have just dreamed him up. And why do I say that? Well, because one, the, the myriad of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime, and particularly those related to his birth and, and to his death. And also the pro- profound things that he taught, and the fantastic miracles that were attributed to him during three short years of public ministry. Also the amazing claims that he made concerning himself, that eyewitnesses agreed to be true. And then on top of all of that, the historical record relating to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Richard Riss said this, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. We have in our Bibles four gospel accounts. Giving us details of that fantastic morning, three days after Jesus' dead body had been put in the grave. And it was found to be empty, and Jesus was declared risen from the dead. We're going to look today at John chapter 20. Really, the second half of that chapter describes a scene Easter night, um, and, and also then a scene a week later. I invite you to look with me at John 20. I think that will be on the screen as well. Would you re- stand in reverence to God's word as we read? <clears throat> Begin in verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side, And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and the doors having been shut and he stood in their midst and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Therefore, many other signs. Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this gospel account. As we look into the life of Thomas today and and consider what he was dealing with there, Lord, Uh, you, you will show us some things in our own hearts and lives as well. And we pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word and speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> As I studied this passage, I, I came to an interesting conclusion. And, and that is this that, that doubting Thomas is perhaps misnamed. Now, our text says that Thomas was also called Didymus, which is really just the Greek word for twin. And we don't really know if he had a twin or not. We don't hear anything of them. if so. Um, Thomas is only mentioned 12 times in the four Gospels, and usually it's just in the lists when it lists the other disciples. But there are a couple things that we do glean um, from various passages. We, we do know that he was bold enough to ask questions when he didn't understand. And so when Jesus was telling them he was going to go away and leave the disciples and prepare a place for them, Um, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? The Gospel of John also mentions Thomas in, in the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And so we know Thomas was there and witnessed that miracle. But I say that doubting Thomas is perhaps misnamed, not because he isn't actually called that anywhere in the Bible, but because Thomas does not merely appear to have some doubts about the resurrection but rather also unbelief. And I, and I think there's a, we can make a case for there being a difference between the two. Let me explain. Some of you are familiar with and maybe listen to Christian radio a bit, and, and you maybe heard uh, this uh, British-sounding voice on Christian radio um, named Colin Smith. He, he teaches... Uh, 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 I guess that's... Unlocking the Bible is what he calls uh, the radio program. Anyway... <laughs> In one segment, he he talks about the difference between doubt and unbelief. And he starts with this. He says, you you can't have faith without having questions. There are certain things that God has revealed, and and that's what makes faith possible. And there are certain things that God has kept secret, and that's what makes faith necessary. And so then it's natural for Christians to have questions about things that we don't understand. And and so faith then lives with unanswered questions. Then he says this, you can only doubt what you already believe. Doubt is not the absence of faith, doubt is questioning of faith. Doubt presupposes some kind of faith. That that is um, what doubt is, and and it's a common struggle then, in the life of a Christian. Then he says this, doubt and unbelief are different though, and it's important to grasp this difference. Doubt is questioning what you already believe, whereas unbelief is determined refusal to believe. Unbelief involves spiritual blindness and a determined resistance to God. Thomas didn't just doubt. He refused to believe that Jesus rose. Even though Jesus had predicted that he would rise again, and we have accounts of several times in the Gospels where Jesus told the disciples that, For instance, in Matthew chapter 16, um, it tells us that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Four chapters later, um, really just before the Palm Sunday text um, and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he again told them, behold, we are going to go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. The other disciples had heard this, these things too, and they didn't seem to grasp them earlier. But after seeing the risen Christ and his nail-scarred hands that Easter evening, they all had believed and rejoiced greatly. And I can't imagine that they hadn't also done everything they could to locate Thomas, probably within 24 hours, and tell him this great news as well. But even though the ten disciples said that they had seen the Lord, Thomas would not believe. And it's not like he thought that they were playing some April Fool's, Fool's joke on him or something. That he knew that they were quite serious in what they were telling him. Verse 25 tells us that. So, so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of those nails, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now we don't really know what else was going on in Thomas's life at the time. We don't know why he wasn't with the other ten that Easter evening. It could be that, that doubts and unanswered questions had added up. And he had become so disillusioned that he was ready to ditch this disciple thing altogether and do something else with his life. We all have unanswered questions in our lives, don't we? There are times that that doubts flood in on each of us. And it is what we do with those doubts and questions that that will determine then the outcome in our faith. When those doubts came along for me in in, in my time in college there, I I sought out answers. I I talked with Christian friends. I devoured books on apologetics for the Christian faith. And, And I even took some classes that compared other religions and I became more convinced than ever that the Christian faith was different from any other religious belief because it was based on undeniable historical facts about the person of Jesus Christ. I said earlier doubt is questioning what you already believe unbelief is a determined refusal to believe. So now why would a person be determined not to believe? I am convinced that Often it is because to believe in Jesus Christ would then also require a change of lifestyle that one is not willing to make. And so there are people who refuse to believe even in spite of overwhelming evidence that's staring them in the face. I'm also convinced that it is possible even for a Christian to be lured away from the faith by sin and to end up then Yeah, gradually giving in to sin and walking away from the faith. Or for a Christian to have doubts that just pile up, and instead of seeking answers from fellow Christians and solid Christian teaching, instead ending up separating yourself from the family of God so much that you fall into unbelief. Unbelief then involves a spiritual blindness that sets in, and with that then a determined resistance to God. Thomas had fallen into unbelief. And so Thomas placed additional conditions on his belief. And he now insisted that he would not believe unless he could both see and also touch Jesus again. I want to ask you, have you ever placed conditions on what you will believe? I think we all have, haven't we? You know, it's not a good idea to believe everything you hear these days. We live in the... Information age, which has also become the disinformation age. In the last couple of years, we've become quite aware that you can't trust everyone involved in government or trust everyone involved in the medical field or in the media. We need to be discerning in our sources of our information. But if we get to the point where we don't trust our Christian friends or don't trust God Himself then we're in trouble. However, however it had come about, Thomas had gotten to a point where he didn't trust the words that he had heard from Jesus, and he didn't trust his closest friends, those other ten disciples. And so here he was and placing additional conditions on his belief and saying, well, uh, unless I see those imprints in his hands, unless I put my finger in, in those nail holes, and, and unless I put my hand in his side, In other words, he was saying, unless I both see and can touch. I want to ask you, do you only believe things that you can see and touch? How about electricity? You can't see it, and it's not a good idea to touch it, right? How about germs and viruses? Too small to see or touch, and even if you could, you wouldn't understand them, right? How about the war in Ukraine? You aren't there. You can see it on the screen someplace. But you've seen wars on the screen that were really just acting too, haven't you? It comes back to them determining which sources can you trust. And while Jesus doesn't always meet the the conditions somebody might want to put on him, he did for Thomas that day. And, And I think he did it for Thomas, doing it for all of us as well. And he told Thomas that day, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. And then he says, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas went that day from unbelief to absolute confidence, absolute belief. He saw Christ's nail-scarred hands and he touched his wounded side and he believed. And not only though did Thomas get what he said that he needed in order to believe. But he got something else that day. He got the all-knowing Son of God speaking to him about his heart and about his unbelief. Jesus saw right into his heart, and he knew what Thomas was holding out for, and he granted his demands. But in the process, he also showed Thomas his own heart that was full of sin and unbelief. And though we do not see Jesus with our eyes today, he sees us. And he is still able to show us if we have sinful, unbelieving hearts today as well. And I have to appreciate uh, the statement of somebody in the Gospels who who encountered Jesus one day and said this, I believe, help my unbelief, that that is, show me my determined resistance in my life. So uh, what then did Thomas come to know for sure? One, he came to know that Jesus truly had died on the cross, that was the reason that that Thomas had been so disillusioned. His spiritual teacher, who had claimed and had demonstrated amazing powers, had ended up then dying at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders. And the rest of the disciples were hiding out um, together for fear that they might be next. Thomas was quite sure Jesus had died on that cross and that he'd been buried. But he came to understand at last that that jesus death was necessary that jesus had willingly gone to that cross for all sinners in the world and that had actually been jesus plan thomas also came to know for sure that jesus rose and he was physically alive again that that his body that had been cold and stiff and placed in the grave was living and breathing again and it still had the scars. It was still the same body, but, but very much alive. And he saw and he touched him that day. And, and the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead changed everything for Thomas. It, it meant that Jesus was who he had claimed to be. He was Lord. He was God. And that's what Thomas exclaimed that day. As he realized who this was. My Lord and my God. My Lord, that's the one that's in charge of me. My God, the one who is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe, including me personally. You know, in Luther's Catechism, in the second article of the Creed, um, he states what we Christians believe about Jesus Christ. And, And he says this, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature. You see, in order for Easter to be more than just a fun holiday for us, we need to come to see and to believe what Thomas did, that Jesus Christ is my Lord, my God, personally. Charles Spurgeon said this, It will not save me to know that Christ is a savior, but it will save me to trust him to be my savior. I shall not be delivered from the wrath to come by believing that his atonement is sufficient, but I shall be saved by making that atonement my trust, my refuge, my all. The pith, the essence of faith lies in this, a casting oneself on the promise. One other thing that Thomas came to know for sure, along with John and the other disciples, was what we see in verse 31 here, and that is that there is eternal life then in Jesus' name. There it tells us, 30 and 31, uh, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Though we do not see the risen Lord, we are invited then to believe the witness of the disciples. You were invited then to trust the gospel accounts that, that God had recorded for us in his written word that all revealed to us then the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ who willingly went to the cross, there paying the penalty for our sins, and who then rose triumphantly from the grave three days later. Some of you are younger and maybe don't remember who Chuck Colson was. He, he was convicted and spent time in prison for his part in the Watergate scandal of of President Richard Nixon. And and he makes this statement. He he says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison, and and they would not have endured that (laughs) if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Well concerning the one disciple we've looked at today, Thomas, tradition tells us that he visited the entire Arabian Peninsula and brought the gospel as far as India, where he was martyred for his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And in India today, there are statues and there are various other historical records there. And according to my understanding, over 15 million people who would call themselves St. Thomas Christians, various denominations, just in South India alone. Though we do not see the risen Lord, we are invited to believe the witness of the disciples today. And to believe that for us too, then, there is eternal life available in him. And that means, then, forgiveness of our sins here and now. Jesus died on the cross that we could know that our sins have been paid for there. And we also, then, can have a personal daily relationship with Jesus because he is living. He is the living Lord. And through the indwelling Holy Spirit, then, he gives us help and guidance for each day of our earthly life. And it also means then that because Jesus rose from the grave, we know know that resurrection is possible. The all-powerful God can do anything, and he is on the throne. And he tells us in his word about eternal life. That means life even beyond the grave, which gives then me hope and help. Even as, as I grow older, and physical and mental health declines for each of us. And someday our body will go to the grave as well. It also gives us hope in the face of the death, even of a loved one who died, trusting in Christ, because one day, according to his word, I can see him or her again. We learn from Thomas today about doubts and unbelief. And, you know, it is possible that there would be somebody listening here today who is an unbeliever. And maybe you need to ask yourself this question, are there things in my life that I am not willing to change that keep me from being willing to believe in and follow Jesus. And if you're a believer today, but, but struggling in your life with some unanswered questions and some doubts, recognize those will come. Don't be alarmed by them, but, but let them be reasoned then to look more to Jesus and to his word and, and, and to find that like Thomas, You can't walk away from him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that there are examples like Thomas because you you know how doubts come in. You know the various things that come along in our lives that throw us a a surprise and change things and and we don't know what to do with. But Lord, I, I thank you that you tell us in your word that as we look to you, uh, you can help us in dealing with those doubts and, and understand the things you want us to understand. But we also recognize there, are, there will be unanswered questions in our life that we have to live with. But I do thank you that there are some things you want us to know for sure. And I thank you, Lord, that as we look around at this awesome world you've given us, we can know that there is a creator, a master designer. And as we look into your word, we, we can know that this book is not an ordinary human book but it is something very unique, and we thank you that it appoints us to the person of Jesus Christ, where we see then hope for sinners, forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And we rest in those promises today, and we pray, Lord, that you would draw each one of us to trust you and your word. Though we do not see you here now with our eyes, we thank you that we have the recorded word and witness of eyewitnesses in the Gospels.